Welcome to No Ordinary Ordinary Women, Women. the podcast where two ordinary broads chat about extraordinary women, the good, the bad, and And the the bad bad shit crazy. (laughs) (laughs) That's my bros today, y'all. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. She already has editing to do, and we started 30 seconds ago. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a lot. I'm Lynn. I'm Rose. How are you today, Rose? I'm great. How are you? Oh, just dandy. One more day until Friday. Actually, t- what? Tomorrow's Friday. Tomorrow's okay. Friday. We don't yeah. have a whole day. It's like less than 12 hours until Friday. Yeah, yeah. and I thought today, all day, it was Friday. <gasps> I was like, I'm going to stop and get me a pumpkin spice latte at Starbucks since it's Friday. And I like to treat myself sometimes on Friday. And then I was leaving the house. I'm like, wait a second. It's fucking Thursday. But you know, on Thursdays. <laughs> You guys can thank me later. It's buy one, get one free at Starbucks. Well, that doesn't help me now. I know, but you should have gone this morning. And then you could have gotten gotten two small ones. I could have gotten, or I could have gotten like a coworker one. Yeah. And and then everyone's like, oh my God, you're the nicest. You're like, no, bitch, I just got it for free. I mean, you wouldn't say bitch, but you'd say, no, I just got it Why didn't they say that to me? Mm, I saw it on a, um, like TikTok or Instagram or something. I, I was oh, like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Next Thursday, I'm going to You get one with, like, if you get an iced one, you get one without ice. And then you just drink that bitch later. Put that thing in the fridge. And you burp it down. No. <laughs> <laughs> I get the pumpkin spice latte. Oh, so good. Did you get a decaf? I actually get, I've been drinking more caffeine lately. Oh, no. Which is why I've That's been a little more snap, snappier. Is that what's going on with your eye? <laughs> Is it twitching a little? <laughs> it is. I swear to God, I had a meeting today at work, and my eye started twitching, like my head, like oh the side God. of my face. I believe it. I was it. like, oh, my God, I need to get off this call. My head's twitching. I'm twitching. So today, Rose had to come by my house real quick before we recorded. And I was like, I looked at my rug, and I'm like, oh, I need to run the vacuum real quick. <laughs> so I get my vacuum out. Now, mind you, I have like a Dyson, a Dyson, a Dyson uh, cordless. And the battery's kind of dead on it, and I'm just being cheap and don't want to buy a new one. And um, I was like, oh, I'm just going to run the vacuum real quick. And I, I knew I have to. you have to be fast because the battery runs out pretty fast. Mm-hmm. So i running around trying to vacuum real quick. And I get done, and I go to put it on the charger, and I get most – my house is very tiny. I get, like, the living room, the hallway, and the bathroom vacuumed. And then I, get, and then I go to hang it up on the thing, and the, the door – on the canisters open. And so everything I vacuumed just blew out the back. <laughs> That's the most Lynn thing I've ever heard. So I moved the dirt in my house from one place to another. <laughs> I was like, what the serious fuck is going on? I could not stop laughing. I'm like, this is ridiculous. And it was right after I was on that call that, that was like making yeah. my eye twitch. So, yeah. And I was, it was funny. I was like, I don't, I just cleaned the filter and cleaned it all out not that long ago. And I was like, God, I don't remember feeling the air that <laughs> blowing out <laughs> what I was vacuuming for. But did I stop and look at it? No. No, of course no, not. I didn't. You wouldn't. I just shot, shot my dirt, shot dirt wad, wad all over, all over the <laughs> shot place. Shot your wad. My dirt wad. I told you my boss used to say that, yeah. No, she said what? Not that my current boss, my oh. old boss, who was like close to 70. Used to say in meetings, mm. oh, we don't want to shoot our whole wad. <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> I would be dead. I would not. I would have to leave. I don't think leave. she knew what it meant. I would die every time she said it. We had our, our boss is um, English is not her first language. No, she would say we we're going to blow our wad. Oh, no. Is what she would say. So my boss, uh, my director, my uh, senior leader, English is not her first language. 
And she speaks very, I mean, amazing English. She's really good. But she, she kept saying penetration in this meeting, and I could not. <laughs> oh, my God. She knew I, you were in there. She was I fucking with me. I could not stop laughing. And I, was, and I tried to look at, uh, Megan was in there with me. Yeah. This is when she worked with me. And I kept staring at her, and she would not look at me. She was like, <laughs> anything she could do, she was sitting right across the table for me. And she was, like, looking away and, like, per- like hurting her eyes not to oh look at me. Oh, my God. Because if she would have looked at me, we'd have been done. Like, it would have been over. But I look around, and a bunch of the guys are like, you know, like hold it back. I was like, well, at least I'm not the only pervert. So. Oh my God, Lynn! Penetration. That's like today when I was on a um, Zoom call at Lynn's house <laughs> with Charlotte's doctor. <laughs> she pantsed me. Yes, I did in the middle of the living room. I didn't pants you. That would be me pulling I mean, down she, your pants. I'm sorry, she pantsed herself. She mooned me. I mooned her. <laughs> I mooned her. She got to see my cut. And then I was butt. like, Oh my God! Oh my God! And I was trying not to smile. Like I was trying. I was like, Stop thinking about something about. This. She was like, look at that fine specimen of ass. <laughs> she was on a like, very what is she, doing? she was on a very serious uh, Zoom call and I mooned her. Yeah. So not cool. Then it, I didn't look at her the rest of the time. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> she got to see my big, big booty. So I enjoyed it. Yes, I'm sure you did. So who are you gonna tell us about today, Lynn? Oh wait. Did is you it, talk about our talk? It's your turn. It's your turn. It's not my turn. I did panic about that on the way over here. (laughs) I was like, oh, my God, I haven't prepared anything. (laughs) Um, So our cocktails today, again, uh, we are drinking Brazo Tacos, Skinny Margaritas. So, yeah, we love Brazos. And Rose, I picked Rose's tacos for her last week. And she was like, oh, my God, these are so good. So we got Brazos again tonight. So we did margaritas again tonight. Why not? So margaritas are always a good thing. What kind of taco did you get me? I don't remember. I really don't remember. Well, that's uh, just great, Len. I got you two. I got you one. Not the not the nacho taco that I got you last time. The other one that I got you. You got the solid. Is that what I got you last yeah. time? The solid. The and one then, with corn where I was like, I don't like corn. Yeah. And then you ate it. Yeah. And then I liked um, it. And then I got, yeah. I don't remember the other one I got you, though. You're just going to have to deal with it. Need it. Probably cow tongue. It has cow tongue and frog's legs in it. Ooh. <clears> my favorite. <laughs> So today I'm going to talk about the one, the only, the badass, Marsha Clark. Who's that? Rose. <laughs> Do you really not know who Marsha Clark is? I only know because you told me who oh. she was. Earlier. So Marsha Clark is, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. She's a prominent figure in the legal world. She's celebrated for for her influential career as a prosecutor and her, in, prosecutor and her impact on the legal field. She started. She started a passion for justice, leading her to work as a public defender before joining the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office. During her time as a lead prosecutor in the highly publicized O.J. Simpson trial. Oh, my God. Yes. Marsha Clark became a household name. I, I remember this like it was yesterday. That's so weird. I remember some of the trial, but I don't remember her. You were probably, probably too probably young. drunk or something. Yeah. Despite the intense media scrutiny and numerous challenges, she displayed unwavering dedication to seeking justice for victims. Beyond the courtroom, Marsha Clark, Clark's legacy carries on through her advocacy for domestic violence victims and her successful career as a writer, providing insights into the legal world and captivating readers with her works. Is that blue light coming from? Oh, I have a, um, a brick. Oh. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's my vagina. <laughs> well, that's usually where the blue I have, lights come I have in. a blue light in it. 
<laughs> Her resilience, commitment to justice, and trailblazing role as a woman in law continue to, continues to inspire and shape the legal profession. Her impact goes beyond her courtroom victories, making her a symbol of perseverance and empowerment Perseverance and empowerment in the legal arena. So today I want to tell you about her life, briefly touching on her childhood and delving into her career in law and her life after the OJ trial. What year was the OJ trial? Do you remember? Rose, it's like way down in my notes. Oh, is it? Okay. Well, it, was like in, it was in the 80s. No. No, 90s. I'm sorry. Like 96, 97? I don't trust anything you say now. Oh, my God. I think you're a liar. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Hang on. I think it was 96 or 97. I feel like it was after that. I thought I was a teenager. 95. I was 10. That's why I don't remember a lot. You were digging up dolls in your backyard. (laughs) (laughs) That's what Christina was doing. Oh, that's true. (laughs) So Marsha Clark was born on August 31st, 1953 in Almeida, California. She grew up in a middle-class family. Her father was a director of the Food and Drug Administration. And every time he would get a promotion, the family would move. So they moved like all over the U.S. I feel bad for those kinds of kids. Yeah. I mean, they moved a lot. She loved New York the most and always wanted to be back there. She was like that like when she was... A teenager. She's really? like, I always want to be back there. Aww. She had a younger brother who is now, well, who is an engineer, maybe retired at this point, yeah. though. Uh, when she was 17 years old, she was on a she was on a trip with um, out of the country with a group of girlfriends. She uh, she was fairly naive at this point in her life. There was a group, really when she was 17. Yeah, she was still I very naive. Her to be very mature. No, but I mean, at this point, <laughs> I'm just she's pretty naive. So she said. Um, there was this is her was a co- joke, Lynn. Oh, Rose, come on. <laughs> there was a group of us at a resort, she says, describing a trip she made to Israel. It was all girls and there were two male waiters that were trolling us, serving our group, but trolling us. And one asked me out and the other one asked my roommate out. I said, no, I didn't like the cut of his jib. What the fuck does that mean? Yeah, <laughs> I was like, we're not going to know what that means, are we? That the cut of someone's jib means someone's appearance and demeanor. So mm. she, he creeped her out, basically. Yeah. Um, she says, always trust your gut, kids. I was tired, and they were going to, to another cafe, so I went back down to the hut where I was staying to lie down. And I woke up to find this waiter sitting on the edge of my <gasps> bed. Yeah. The man was older than me, probably around 27, so like 10 years older. Oh, my God, gross. And seemed quite relaxed despite breaking into her hut. Oh, my God. And she was like, how did he get in? I have no idea. And it turned out that he had a master key to their huts for some crazy reason. And he goes, I just like to watch you sleep. Uh, What did she do? So it was seven in the evening. So it was early. She said, I was really scared. But then he starts talking. No, 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 no. I just wanted to make sure you were okay since you left the others. And no. He, yeah, I know. Room. Well, he persuaded her to accompany accompany him to a cafe where the others were, to the cafe where the others were, um, where he was funny and charming and everyone appeared to be having a good time. No. He seemed totally harmless. No. She said. But she let her gut be overridden. So her original <gasps> gut was like, don't trust him. And she, you know, it's like, and women do this all Especially the Especially a 17-year-old. I mean, it. It would be so easy to talk about. I remember a having these gut that. instincts when I was 15. Yeah. And, and so ignoring do I. them. Yeah. And it's so stupid. Ladies, tell your children. Tell your. I, I, I don't know about boys as much, but girls, they've got that feeling and they know it. Don't ever deny it. 
So I'll tell you a story about my gut feeling. So there was this creepy guy in our neighborhood when I was really young, like between like five and ten probably. And, you know, back then we just all ran through the neighborhood. Oh, yeah. Like, like we nobody, nobody was in a house ever. And he always wore like these really short shorts and he was just really creepy. Like Who always had a shirt off, short shorts? which isn't that weird in Hawaii. Like yeah, he was everyone, wearing yeah. short shorts and had a shirt off. Back in the back in like this, the 80s, 70s, 80s, guys walked around without shirts all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in Hawaii, I mean, still guys oh, yeah. would, walk, walk around without shirts. Um, I don't think my brother owns a shirt. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. Um, so, anyway, I always got this creepy feeling about him. And he would sit on, like, the picnic table and would talk to us. And he'd put his leg up. And he's wearing these short shorts and wouldn't be wearing underwear. So, he was, like, showing us his junk. Uh... Like, and you could tell he was doing it on purpose. And even back then, I knew that. Ew. As a I, young kid. That exact same thing happened to me at a pool one time. We were at the, the like, community rec center. Yeah. And my friends and I, and there was this old man. And he had on, like, really – they weren't, like, banana hammock, but they were, like sh- – they were like more like a short, but they were super tiny. Yeah. And he was sitting on the edge of the pool. And it was one of those pools that had like the <clears throat> like the grate on the edge. So it was almost like a step to get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the water went in and recycled or whatever. And he was sitting on the edge with his feet on that. And he had his legs open Ugh. and his nutsack was hanging yeah. out the side. And my friends and I were like, what is that? Like we had, we were so young. Yeah, we were you like, we could not figure out. We're like, yeah. is that his penis? Is that like, we had no idea. And I remember, I could, I'm like, I'm I can picture it. My, it's like. You fucking pervert. Yeah. You know, Total how do you sickle. not know your ball sack's t- hanging out? No, he totally got off on that, for sure. Oh, fucking creep. Oh, my God. I wish. Oof. Yeah, so. That's, like, the weirdest thing That's when you me. need to carry a slingshot and like, just fucking nail that motherfucker. Like, that? like so what? disgusting. Like, how are you getting off on that, you know? No, they totally do. It's so disgusting. I had a guy in, when I worked at Taco Time in Seattle. <laughs> Speaking of tacos, <laughs> I need another margarita. Uh, <laughs> Um, I had someone come through the drive-thru and flash uh, me. He had his penis out. Ew. And I, like, freaked the fuck out. I went to my manager, and I was like, oh, my God, he that guy had his his penis hanging out. And would your manager be like, oh, it's okay? No, she was pissed. Oh, okay. She was, like, a lesbian woman. Oh, so she was really in mad. Seattle, yeah. yeah. So she was, like, really hot. That's just, it's so disgusting. Like, ugh, God. It's so, like, I was really traumatized by that. I mean, of all the Fuck things yeah. that happened in my life, that really traumatized me for some reason. Well, I, I mean, was, it's like... I felt so, like... Isn't it weird how violated, like, you felt... I, that's exactly yeah. what I felt. You I felt, felt totally so violated. violated. He never touched you or anything, but you're just yeah. like, why would you do that? Because I knew, like, in his head, he was like, oh, yeah, look yeah, at the reaction. Yeah. Like, ugh. Oh, Yeah, so like, the gross. way that you probably got, like, flustered, and yeah, you probably, right. probably totally turned him on. Oh, yeah. Man, you could have thrown some fucking hot coffee on that thing. I God! Know. Now I would. Oh, I wish man. I could go back to the 18-year-old me. If anybody knows how to go back in time, let us know. <laughs> so anyway, she said, he seemed totally harmless. He said, She said, I let my gut, gut be overridden. And afterward, he says, I'll walk you back. And she said, I didn't want him to walk oh. me back. So we were sitting outside and talking. And the wind, it was what they called Kemsen. It's a very hot, dry wind was blowing. There's, a, there's like a name oh, for it there. And... Um, it's kind of like the Santa Ana winds, but ten times worse. Yeah, um, and the wind was screaming past our ears, and we were and we were screaming to talk to each other, and we couldn't hear each other. At some point, he said, "Why don't you come to my room? I'll play you some music." <gasps> no, I feel like a big brother to you. I'll teach you all the fun things oh, to do my around God, here. Then. And the idiot that I was, I went. Uh, she was, pro- you know, that her gut was telling her the whole time, "Don't do it," and she was like pushing but she it down. Probably felt like. 
well, she was trying like, to please I don't want to be rude. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I mean, exactly. I've been in that situation a hundred times. Oh, my God. Yeah, she's like, didn't want to offend him. Yeah, right. I fucking offend him. Ladies, offend them. Anyway, his ro- in their his room, they listened to music, and when it was still relatively early, Marsha got up to leave. She said, well, I think we've got to, I think I've got to go. She continued and said, and, st- and she starts to head for the door, and then he grabbed her and said, Oh, you're not going anywhere. He sucker punched her, (gasps) threw her on the bed, and she screamed. She screamed as loud as she could, and he laughed at her and said, no one can hear you. (gasps) And she knew at that point nobody could hear her. Where were they? They were in his room. But it was like in a... I don't know. I didn't didn't ask her where it was. Jesus Christ. (laughs) So she says the rape was violent. Her clothes were torn. She was bruised and hurt, though not so visibly that people noticed. He was... More than anything, she felt ashamed, and for years she didn't tell anyone. Yeah. Could you imagine? I can't even imagine being that far away from home and something like that happened. I and you can't. have nowhere to go to yeah. be like. Who was she with? Secure. She was with a group of girls oh, that were her age. I'm like, oh. I, I don't understand how she got to go to Israel and her, you know. Um, but anyway, that night she walked into the ocean. She said, "It's really calm in that ocean. It's very warm. It's almost like a lake." I got all the way to the tip of her. She said, "Like." In the interview, she's like to here, right below her nose, because I was going to kill myself. I felt so worthless. She said, and then I got mad. She said, I got really mad. She said, all I could feel was anger, Good. which probably saved her. Um, she didn't know it at this time, but that moment changed the rest of the trajectory of the rest of her life. So she got pissed, and I'm so glad she did. Yeah, really. So she was a determined and bright student. She graduated from Susan E. Wagner High School in New York City. She attended the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA, where she earned her bachelor's degree in political science and international relations. Marcia decided to become a lawyer when she realized that her B.A. in poli sci was absolutely useless. Oh, really? (laughs) Don't spill the fucking cocktail, Rose. Pour, pour, pour. Commit, commit. Okay. She attended the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA. Holy shit. Where she earned her bachelor's degree in poli science and international relations. You asked me to add more tequila to your drink, you dumb bitch. And now you're going to be like, oh, it's too strong. I can't drink it. <laughs> Take a squeeze of lime to cut the liquor. It's like it's like dealing with a toddler, y'all. <laughs> I'm very toddler-like. Drink it up. Get very some cute. hair on your nipples, girl. I'm very cute, like a toddler. <laughs> cute and dumb. A toddler that annoys the fuck out of you. I'm kidding. That's all of them. <laughs> So she decided to become a lawyer when she realized that her B.A. in poli sci was useless. (laughs) She was like, what am I going to do with this? What would you do with that? I don't know. But I mean, I feel like the same way about my degree. But anyway. Poli sci is political science? Yeah. Like, I mean, you do like, I don't know what you do. Political science stuff? (laughs) Uh, You could work for like a delegate or something. I don't know. That's stupid. Anyway, she said, I didn't start out wanting to be a lawyer. It was something I eventually came to. She said, I started undergrad work as a theater and arts major. She wanted to be an actress. I wanted to be, and she said, I wanted to be an actress. See, I just said that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) When I realized the realities of being an actress, that I probably would wind up being a waitress. (laughs) I thought, this is probably not going to be so right. So I thought about what I'd like to do, what intrigued me, and that added up to becoming a lawyer. Good. The rape propelled her away from the dream of becoming an actress and into the into law. After UCLA, she studied at studied at Southwestern School. Jesus. She studied at. 
<laughs> she studied at Southwestern School of Law, where she earned her Juris Doctorate degree. Within the first month of law school, she knew she was going to be a criminal lawyer, nothing else. After law school, she worked as a public defender for the city of Los Angeles before becoming a prosecutor. She was assigned to a new case as a prosecutor. It was a woman who was raped. She insisted that she only have a female prosecutor. Marcia met with her. The woman told her the whole story of the rape. It was raw, sickening, and painful oh, to hear. Oh, God. That must have been, like, so triggering, yeah. too. So she said, she told me her story, and literally within 10 minutes of her leaving, I got violently ill. Oh, I bet she did. Because mm-hmm. she, had she told anyone at no, this point? No, nobody. Oh. She said violently. It was weird. Within an hour, I had a fear of 102. Holy shit. It was around 1981, and my then-husband said, okay, what the hell happened? What's 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 going on? And so she wound up telling him about the oh. rape. And so— um, I'll talk about this a little bit later, but she gets involved in the Church of Scientology a little bit. And oh, they no. are they there. She said they're very right about this, that if you base I don't remember the exact verbiage of it. But but if you don't deal with stuff as a child, it comes back and and will come out in horrible ways. Oh, as for an sure. adult. That's a very, Anxiety very vague interpretation of what she said. <laughs> but no, I mean, I think that's that's true in anything. I mean, I've heard that before many times. So, yeah, for sure. It was the first time she had told anybody about the rape. So. Marsha, according to her friends, like they interviewed um, – somebody had interviewed a bunch of old friends of hers from school, like high school, middle school and stuff. And they were like, oh, she always had a handsome boyfriend. Her hair was always long and straight. And it was like so funny. This podcast I was listening to, they were cracking up. They're like, can anybody say like she was smart? She, like, <laughs> yeah, right. It was so weird. That's what like, they remember. Well, no, I mean it's high school. But high school and middle school, that's all you think yeah. about anyway. But um, – one night, she was at an all-night diner with some of her friends in L.A. in 1974. This is where she met her first husband. A guy started coming towards their table, the group of them, and she saw him, and she was getting ready to lean in and tell her friends, ignore this guy, he's coming up, he's coming up. But he sat right next to her and said hello. And she looked at him, and she said, he is the most handsome man I've oh. ever seen. His name was Gabrielle Horowitz. His nickname was Gabby. All right, let me look at him. That's a horrible nickname for a man, but... yeah. What is his name? Gabriel. Gabriel. Or Gabriel. Gabriel, I think. Gabriel. I don't know why I said Gabriel. That's girl. Horowitz. Oh, he is not. Hmm. You don't think he's cute? I guess everyone has different taste. <laughs> no, but he was supposed to be gorgeous. Mm. Maybe it was like a bad. Oh, that's not good. I Let's think see. that's him. Gabriel Horowitz. Well, that's a picture of her and him. Well, that's a horrible picture. I can't see. What? These aren't pictures of him. Images. I mean, I guess I can see, like, there's a picture of him, like, back in the day. I guess I can kind of see He had, like, dark hair and, like, like, green or blue eyes. Yeah. Yeah, That was the way they described him. Maybe in person he was a little more... Okay. So, anyway... um, he was very charming. In less than a month, Marsha was living with him. He was always dressed very sharp and had plenty of money. You want to know what he did for a living, Rose? Sex work. No, Rose. Come on. Um, engineer. Golfer. No, that was her second husband. Um, he, no, that was OJ. Um, <laughs> he, <laughs> he played backgammon for a wasn't living. Wasn't golfer? I mean, wasn't, wasn't golfer? Wasn't OJ a, 
a football player? He was a football player, but he played golf. He oh. didn't professionally play golf, but he played golf. Um, his He played he backgammon. Played- for a living. So he would go to like cl- backgammon was like all the rage back at this time. And so he would go to clubs where they would have backgammon games and he would kind of like poker. Like he would play for money. Wait, what is backgammon? That's the one where the little circle things you move the little pointy. And then the pointy, square and then the triangles. Yeah, the little pointy triangles. Okay. Like I was thinking what is the one you, you hit the ball the You're thinking of badminton you badminton. dumbass. <laughs> what did you say? Play backgammon. Backgammon. <laughs> She's thinking of badminton. Yeah they played that in the clubs. I was like wait what? <laughs> Good God, y'all. See what I deal with? I used to play badminton. I love backgammon. Joanne and I, Joanne and Tex played all the time. I played I that it. when I was a kid. I remember I we had I a don't remember how to play, board. but I love it. I don't either. We'll have to bring it on the next girls' trip. But I want to get a badminton for my um, set for my backyard. Why? It's just going to stay in the shed. Nobody's with... going to use it. I used to play it with my grandmother. It's horrible. Your grandmother's dead, Rose. Lynn <gasps> <laughs> <Len> Pontillo. <laughs> um... Lynn's mom, would you talk to her about her behavior? Uh, well, Rose, Talking your grandmother only played with you because my... she thought you were fat and wanted you to get <laughs> exercise. <laughs> she just thought we had a lot of cellulite for kids our age. <laughs> for a 12-year-old. Not that that gives you any kind of fucking horrible image issues. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I was like, That's why she for... made you play badminton because she wanted you to bounce those legs around and get some tone in your body. <laughs> <laughs> and then she was like, let's go make a pie. Yeah, Fretting Chris, you up a little Christina bit. Christina just drove off the road. <laughs> oh, that's she right. Doesn't she doesn't listen. listen anymore. That's true. So anyway, um, she ended up marrying Gabby so he could get his green card. Mm, this isn't going to go well. She made him promise not to tell anybody except for the government. Yeah. Um, she would go to the clubs with him and study for law school while he played backgammon. Wait, she made him promise not to tell anyone they were married? Yeah. She, she didn't <laughs> want anyone to know because, like, they met, but he just needed a green card. Yeah. So that's why they did it. So she would study while he was playing at the clubs. They pulled all nighters often. Their relationship became rocky when Gabby became possessive of Marsha after she stopped going to the clubs with him. She had to. She was, like, in law school, and she's like, I can't yeah, fuck around anymore. Hard. She's like, I have to study. I can't be studying in a club. I Like, yeah, you know, it's, like, yeah. serious. So he got very jealous of her not being with him all the time. Like, where is she? What is she doing? Most likely she was sleeping. But anyway, then in 1976, Gabby wanted Marsha to marry him for the right reason. So they had another ceremony. Isn't it funny how people are like that? Like, I've never been possessive like that. Have you? Like, I just... I just don't care. Like, if you don't want to be around me, then that's fine. I don't want to be around you I was you when either. I was younger, but yeah. that's because the guy was cheating on me. I, yeah. I had a right to be possessive. But I feel like when when I've been cheated on, I felt even more like, and I think this is actually a trauma response now that mm-hmm. I think about it. It's like I just, like, completely sh- shut him out. Like, I'm done oh, no. with you. I didn't. I was like, why Why are you doing this? Why are no, you doing No, I've yeah. never been like that. No, I've been like, idiot. fuck you. I'm going to go cheat on you, too. Oh, no. <laughs> I wish I would have. I really wish I would have. Yeah, would've. right. So um, the marriage was pretty unstable. He had no backup career. and Backgammon was all he could do. He had a person he was mentoring. He was teaching him how to play backgammon, and his name was Bruce Roman. Marcia said he was the nicest guy she had ever met. Uh, and Gabby started getting depressed when and frustrated because, like, the backgammon industry was like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, um, slowing down. Hold he couldn't play backgammon for the rest of his life. Yeah, I mean, it was like it wasn't. It was like becoming less and less popular. Yeah. So it was like slowing down. He was getting depressed. Um, so 
his friend, Bruce Roman, was a Scientologist and said, why don't you come to the Church of Scientology? And so he started going to the Church of Scientology. He went to a few, they, I guess they call them classes at the beginning. And Marcia went with them to register and do all this stuff. And his depression seemed to get better. So she felt like things were looking up. Soon she found out, though, he was on the verge of getting kicked out of the Church of Scientology because he was hitting on women in his classes. <gasps> he was warned, Rose. He was warned. By who? Her or the, her Scientology? No, by the, by the, I guess, the elders or whatever you call them at the Church of Scientology. Oh. Tom Cruise, John Travolta, oh, yeah. whoever it is. Tom was always there. Yeah. So Marcia, Marcia ended up leaving Gabby. She had nothing, but she was determined. She was like, I can't keep doing this. And so she just like... Pulled herself up by her bootstraps and got the hell out. Get off your phone. Oh, my God. I'm looking at Lily's pictures from today because Chris just picked her up. Look how cute she is. Aw, she is so cute. They got to be a teacher today. God, that's a horrible job. She's so cute. She got to be a teacher. What do you mean? She just got they, to get, she, get, she worked circle. a whole bunch of hours and didn't get paid <laughs> shit. <laughs> during circle time, they let them each use the pointer and be a teacher. I'm going to shove that thing right up someone's ass. Lynn. This what? is preschool, okay? It's very cute. Okay. She loves preschool. I bet it was like the highlight of her day. Like oh, my God. Tell I know. You all I, about I, I immediately was like, I want to go home and ask her how, how she enjoyed being a teacher. Using the pointer? Like, oh, my God. <laughs> I know. That's like, I know. I, she was probably like busting at the seams. Exactly. So cute. Anyway, so Marsha um, met a man named Gordon Clark at the Church of Scientology office. He was a... Um, um, Scientologist. <laughs> he wor- he was in um oh my god why I can't think His of the brawl and panties. What's that thing when somebody does like computer stuff? Technology? No, it's computer else. science. No, anyway. I I don't know. Anyway, so she met Gordon Clark. He worked in the office of the Church of Scientology. Administration? No, it's like engineer. Oh. Okay, I'm gonna start over. When they do computer so stuff. Soon she met Gordon Clark, who was an engineer in the office of the Church of Scientology. Okay. She and Gordon could, couldn't date because he worked in the office of the church and she was attending the, I guess they called them classes. So they were going to get married so they could be together. And, okay. you know, but she was still married oh. to Gabby. So a friend of theirs was like, hey, you know, you can go to Tijuana and get a quickie divorce. And really? In 1980, you could go to Tijuana and just get a quickie divorce. She's like, you, you don't need both signatures or anything. You just get a divorce and you're divorced. What? <laughs> like, how is that even legal in the legal United in States? The US? Yes. It does, not anymore. You can't do it. But apparently oh, at this that time, you can. I've done that with my first marriage. I know, right? <laughs> like for fucking ever. How much fun would that have been in Tijuana celebrating your divorce? <laughs> um, so she did the quickie divorce. And in 1980, the two married in a friend's apartment. Marcia had never didn't hear anything else from Gabby until one morning several years later she was saw an article in the newspaper about a man named Gabriel Gabriel excuse me Horowitz who was shot in the head. <gasps> she was like holy shit and so she's reading it and there's nothing to identify him and she's freaking out. Oh no. So she had an officer friend of hers look into it to see if it was her Gabby and it was. He and his friend the other guy that I told you about Bruce Roman. Yeah. They were, they both were gun enthusiasts and they were like looking at guns and oh, no. a gun accidentally went off and shot him in the head, leaving him paralyzed. <gasps> so she like never heard anything else again, I guess. So back to her career. So she wasn't a public defender. So she didn't bother to like go seeing him or anything? 
She was no, just it like, doesn't oh, say she did. Guess he's. I don't, I don't know. It didn't. I I I didn't read the book. I did some other research. I because I'm a slow reader. I wish I was not such a slow reader because I would love to have read the whole book. But she uses this, this excuse every time. I am Rose. I read like one page a night, and my font is like 72, so it's like basically a quarter of a page before I fall asleep. <laughs> I'm the same way. That's why. I mean, I'm not a slow reader, but I am the I, slowest reader in the whole world. Why do it's, you think that is? I don't know. I have no idea. I'm just a very slow reader. I you don't. Think it's because of your ADHD. I don't know. Part of it is I can't see because I try and read without my contacts at night. So anyway, um, she wasn't a public defender very long. There were a number of things that made her want to change. This is her quote, quoting her. In the beginning, when I was defending drunk drivers and prostitutes and theft cases, that was one thing. But when I started to be involved in murder cases, it was tough because I really sympathized with the victims. That was part of it. Yeah, I'm sure. She also said... I also wanted to be in a position of having power to make sure that the cases were fairly handled in a transparent way. And as a defense attorney, you don't have that power because all you're doing is defending your client. You can't make sure that everybody's getting a fair plea bargain, for example, or a fair handling of a trial. She also said, "Um, I didn't really care for private practice. I don't like doing the kind of thing that they usually that usually see lawyers on TV do where they're out trying to scare up uh, scare up some cases and drum up clients, yeah. <laughs> ambulance chasers. So these formative years provided Marsha with an educational foundation and determination that would propel her into a successful legal cl- career, ultimately leading her to becoming the well-known figure in the legal world due to her involvement in the high-profile case of, o. Simpson, of the O.J. Simpson trial. So Marcia, Marcia was admitted to the California State Bar in 1979. She was both a private practitioner and a Los Angeles public defender. She later became a prosecutor in 1981. She gained a reputation for prevailing in numerous criminal cases due to her exemplary, exemplary why can't I say that word, exemplary performance at work. She proved that television actress Rebecca Schaefer um, was murdered by Robert John Bardo, and she convicted him, and he went to prison. This is what gained, helped her gain notoriety. I don't know what I did with that paragraph. I totally slaughtered it. <laughs> so a little bit about this case of okay. Rebecca Schaefer. Um, she was American actress, actor, um, actor, actress, whatever. Anyway, I guess we're supposed to say actor now for both oh, genders. Yeah. So she received fan mail, obviously, like everyone else. She did this. My sister Sam was the name of the show. Do you remember that? She was. Remember Mindy from Work and Mindy? No. So okay. So she was in a show called My Sister Sam, um, with with um, Pam Dauber. I think was her name was. That was the actress from Work and Mindy. Okay. I've heard the name. The show. Yeah. I've heard of she, the show. Uh, Robin Williams started. He was Mork from Work. That was uh, his okay. big stardom. Oh, is it Mork or Mark? Mork. Oh. Come on, Rose. Well, how am I supposed to know that? I was Why would like it be Mark? Infant. Mark doesn't come from another I planet. I wasn't even born Mork. yet. What year is this? In 79, you said? I don't know, Rose. I wasn't even a sperm yet. So anyway. Ro- oh, gross. <laughs> so Rebecca Schaefer was an American actor. She received fan mail, but from one person, it was very persistent. Robert John Bardo. He showed up at the studio with gifts, <laughs> like big stuffed animals, knives, Whatever. He was turned away by security. And when I heard that, I was like, he showed up with a knife and they just turned him away. They didn't yeah. fucking arrest him. Like, I don't get it. Like, if you're going to bring me gifts, bring me, like, nice stuff. Yeah. I don't want a fucking stuffed animal. Just some something else that collects dust in my house, right? <laughs> <laughs> gift card. 
uh, one scene in a film she was in included her in bed with another actor. This enraged oh, Bardo. Oh, God. I've heard of this before. He said now she was just a Hollywood whore. Yeah. She's so, cheating on him. That's why. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So on July 18th, 1989, he knocked on her door and asked for her autograph. You know he got her address? Hey, Google. Through the DMV. All this stuff was public back then. Just went on the DMV and got her address, went to her house. Wait, what What do you mean? He Did he go to the DMV? Because he didn't like, I don't know Google if he, it. like, oh, you couldn't. It wasn't online. I don't know. I guess he went to the DMV. Just got her address. I don't it's know like how. I need the address of. Yeah. So she told him not to come back to her house. She was like, okay, I'll sign your autograph, but do not come back to my Wait, house. Wait, in the phone book, was your address in the phone book too or just mm-hmm. your phone number? Your address was. But for people like her, I think that, I think that they used to pay to be take, left out of the phone book. Oh, okay. So she probably paid to be left out of the phone book. But she was, he, he, they said in the trial that he got her address from the DMV. What the fuck? So he must have went and gotten it. So, so an hour later, he came back, knocked on her door again. She answered the door and she was like exhausted. She's like, what are you doing? She was like really annoyed that he came back. Uh, when when she answered the door, he shot her <gasps> and killed her. This was Marsha's first big, like, Hollywood-type case. Oh, my god! So it was also covered from beginning to end on the brand-new Court TV. Like, this is oh, when wow. Court TV had just started. So it was like, this was big for her. What year is this? Do you know? 1989. Okay. Yeah. Four. So. Um, How old bar- are you? 1989. Chris was a year old, so I was oh my 19. God. <laughs> I was 20. (laughs) Chris was a year old. So during the trial, Bardo was asked to reenact what happened at the front door because he claimed that he had a gun and he was holding it and she tried to grab it. He wasn't going to kill her. He was just like whatever he was going to do with it. He just had it. She tried to grab it and they fought over it and it went off and killed her. Whatever. But while he was reenacting it, he had his hand behind his back. With the gun. Like, he had his hand behind his back, and he, like, knocked on the door. They were like, show me everything you did. And he was saying, so I knocked on the door, and he had his hand behind his back while he was reenacting it in court. And then he knocked on the door, and then, like, somebody opened the door. Like, they pretend like somebody opened the door. And then he was, like, and he was, like, saying that she grabbed the gun, but he was acting out what actually happened. Yeah. But he was saying a lie. Oh, really? So she totally caught this. She was like, what the fuck? He's totally... Oh, my God. So she called him out on it. She noticed a discrepancy. She called him out on it. She was like, this is insane. Um, And she was like, he's making this up totally. I'm like, why would he act one way and say another way? Like, so she she felt like that helped her win. That was like the biggest case of her life at this point. Um, At this point in time, there was no stalking laws in the country. And I mean, this, they're barely stalking laws now. Well, so this prompted California to start making stalking laws. The, yeah, now the, it's like nothing still. Yeah. Remember it, I did that stalking case? Yeah. And I think it was in California. It wasn't in California? Yeah. And they didn't do shit. Was it, or is it in Washington State? Oh, uh, it might have been in Washington State. Yeah, but she, like, they, but they didn't have any before then. Yeah. So she was a pretty badass. She drank scotch, chain smoked. She was one of the guys. Yeah. She didn't like, you know, she was, she just was like, she just didn't put up with shit from anybody. Um, this time in society, you had to be a girly girl, right? Like, so if you were a woman and you were doing business, you had to be dressed in, like, you know, like, frills and, you know, just, like, proper. Right, yeah. Um, Don't show your thighs. Right. So reporters were, like, all about her, like, throughout the, the first trial, a little bit about, like, her clothing, her hair, she's a mother, what's she doing, blah, blah. So she was 
decided she was like wanted to be an advocate for victims. So she said, once I started representing violent criminals, it became a different story for me. Very real, she notes. And then she thought, I really want to take care of the victims. She was having a hard time with the defending people. Um, She said in an interview and asked, how many of the people you represented as a defense attorney were innocent? Guess how many she said? One. None. (gasps) But she still had to represent them. Yeah, that's so Isn't that horrible? That's so hard. So and then you have to like and then during the trial, you have to like really pretend like your person is not fucking. Oh, and you have to like play. Yeah. I mean, and then you talk about being an actress. Asshole. She's totally an actress. I know. So that's a rough job. We're going to talk about the O.J. Simpson trial now. All right. I'm excited. I remember this This very well. This is what I was waiting for. I remember this very well. So um, let's talk about the main evidence in the trial, like the most the most incriminating. The glove. Well, the gloves are part of it. So, first of all, there were bloody f- footprints leaving the, the scene of the crime. Uh-huh. Okay. Someone – and there was also um, drips of blood to the left of the bloody footprints. Okay. So, somebody was who was leaving was bleeding on their oh, left side. Okay. okay. There was a left-handed glove left at the scene. Right. So, whoever was bleeding left the glove – from their left side. Okay. Okay. And dripped blood. The other glove matching this set that was bloody was found at O.J. Simpson's estate. Right. Okay. So Behind the, the murder was at her. What is that? The Nicole's the, house. Well, it was at Nicole's house. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, she lived in like a condo. And she was bringing her friend back, right? No. She was. Okay. She was home. She had gone to dinner that night at a, at a restaurant yeah. in L.A. And the waiter, she somebody left their sunglasses at their table. And okay. the waiter, um, I don't know if he knew where she lived or if he called her. I have no idea what happened. But the waiter said, I'll bring the sunglasses to her on my way home. Wait, what? I thought this was the guy she knew. Mm-mm. No, the the waiter. I thought it was, oh, my God. No, for okay. some reason, the waiter knew. I never thought about this till just now when I said it. The waiter knew where she lived. Okay. Or... I don't know if they had cell phones back then. I don't think so. But the waiter knew where she lived. He said, I'll drop off the sunglasses that were left at the table on my way home. Right. So he went to her house, walked up to the door, knocked on the door, and they were standing out in front of the house having a conversation, and they were both murdered. Okay. Okay. So the way that it appears is that OJ walked up, and then she has a dog, which is an Akita Akita or something, which is like a... Those are dogs are mean. They they can be very yeah. mean, and he OJ was pissed because the dog was not like aggressive toward him. So that meant in OJ's mind that he had been there before. And, oh, okay. Yeah. So the dog allegedly. was allegedly. allegedly. So the dog was. So the dog was ended up after the two people were murdered. So it was the waiter and her that were murdered. They had no connection basically besides just knowing each other oh from God, this restaurant. I, this whole time, I thought they knew each other. No, I mean, they did, but not like they weren't dating or anything like that. It was just like this. This He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. 100%. I always thought they were like friends. No. So the guy, uh-huh. um, so the dog like wandered off after all this and was full covered in blood. Oh, my God. So the somebody, one of the neighbors found the dog. It <gasps> was like, what the fuck? And so they just went on a walk and kind of like with a loose leash and let the dog lead them. And he lead, led them back to the house where the blood oh was. Oh, my God. And these poor people. My God. Could you imagine the trauma of seeing that? What a good boy, though. Huh? What a good boy, though. I know. It was, it was a good boy because the fact that he was. Yeah. So anyway, 
Um, so the other glove was found on OJ's property. Um, also, it was found in a spot right behind. Um, he had like a apartment like on his property, like yeah, an outbuilding, yeah. and that's where Cato Caitlin, the guy, Cato Caitlin, the um, the guy that lived on his property, heard like a thump on the wall because like somebody was running behind. It was like a this like little alley behind his apartment. Yeah, and so that's exactly where they found the glove. Oh. So um, then there was a bloody, a blood spot on the door handle of OJ's truck okay. in his driveway. And his, yeah. dri- and his truck was parked like really weird in his driveway. It wasn't like he pulled up and parked. It was like precarious. Like he just like pulled up real quick yeah. or whatever. Um, so then when OJ was questioned, he had a cut in his left finger, middle finger, and it was all swollen. Oh. So there's literally... A blood trail, yeah, right, from the scene to his home, and he was found not guilty. So anyway, um, so back then, could they test like to see if it was actually? They knew they like they they did everything, but the, he they claimed his defense team claimed the whole time that he was set up. Like, who is that dumb that they would leave a glove that they would put the other glove? The glove was planted. Yeah, the blood was planted. Yeah. All that stuff. I mean, come on. Like, how do you get someone's blood like that? Right, yeah. So anyway, um, so they asked Especially him. Especially when he was abusive and she had told people oh, previously was, that he would be the one to murder her, right? Within the last year, she had called 911. There's like the tape calls are so horrible. She's like, he's back and he's he's going to hurt me. And they yeah. were like, well, just stay on the phone with me. She said, if, they, if he sees me on the phone, he's going to kill me. Yeah. And so she had at some point during that last year, she took pictures she had her sister take pictures of her all beaten up and bruised and put them in a safety deposit box, um, knowing that he was going to kill yeah. her. It still didn't work. So he had left middle finger was swollen. They asked him, how did that happen? He's like, I don't know. It happened like yesterday or the day before. I don't know. I mean, I, I golf and stuff and I, I always I'm always bleeding. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, because when you golf, it's. Yeah. Chris always comes home really bloody. Bloody. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking. I mean, think about it. Like when you're swinging that, you just rip your finger skin right off. <laughs> So then he said he re-injured it when they called him because he had left that night and gone to Chicago on a business trip. And when they called him at the hotel and told him that Nicole was dead, he like broke a glass in his hand and he re-injured it. And that's why he gets the fucking police station for his questioning and they bandage him up. Fuck you. Bandage yourself up, asshole. Anyway, sorry. Allegedly. So... (laughs) Um, <laughs> oh my god, it makes me this case makes me so angry. Um so let's go into Marsha Clark's role as the lead prosecutor in the OJ Simpson trial. She was very unhappy in her marriage. Um she and her husband were separated for about six months when a friend named Lynn <laughs> convinced her to bite the bullet oh, and, god. and file for a divorce. Lynn's a smart girl. Yeah. So Marsha filed for divorce on June 9th. Just three days before the murders. Oh, wow. And so she had no idea. So this catapulted her into a national spotlight, right? So she was on the special case unit for the for the um, prosecutor. So she was asked if she wanted the case, and she was like, hell yeah, this is like a big case. Right. So as this was the trial of her lifetime— she was start. She was starting. She was starting in the middle of a divorce. She had a six-year-old and a nine. I'm um, sorry, a three-year-old and a five-year-old. Oh my God! Um, and her divorce was not pretty, Rose. That's rough. Probably, probably, probably ugly like mine. 
So her husband was an engineer. So he worked fairly normal hours. As a prosecutor, you know she didn't work normal hours. And if she's starting this trial, you know she's not working normal hours. So he was fighting her for custody. He was saying... Um, he wanted primary custody. He was like, her work schedule's yeah, horrible. he's more stable. He's, you know, an engineer. He worked for pretty regular hours. He's always home by like 6.15. And she's like always worked. And when she was home, she was still working at home and not paying attention to the kids. Um, he did say, though, that she was a great lawyer and had a dedication to her job. But he was worried about the kids, which, I mean, I kind of understand. But... Whatever. I mean, but, you yeah, know, he could have been, it could have been legit, you know. But moms can do it all, Rose. We can do everything. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, come on. I could breastfeed and drive at the same time. We, I mean, I don't do it anymore, but I can. Well, you shouldn't. <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> your baby might go flying out the window. I'm not saying it's a baby. What are you breastfeeding? A man? Oh, my God. You're disgusting. <laughs> you're so gross. The look on your face. The look on your face. You're so nasty. You're like, what are you doing? Oh. <laughs> that was priceless. That was oh so awesome. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. So sorry. The custody trial was really tough on Marsha. Because society still felt, probably still does, unfortunately, that women should be home with the kids. They should be. Mo- yeah, they should Stupid be. Stupid bitches. <laughs> Moms have to figure it all out, Rose. Child care, meals, clothes, school meetings, every other single oh fucking God, thing. I know. At one point in the trial, Marsha Clark said she could not stay late for a proposed evening session because she had other obligations. She had her kids that night. The next week, <gasps> Johnny fucking Cochran suggested that she may have used childcare as a ruse to delay <gasps> testimonies of a defense witness. Fuck off, John well, Let me Cochran. tell you what she said, Rose. Oh, tell me. She said, um, excuse me, I am completely offended as a woman, as a single parent, and as a prosecutor, and as an officer of the court. Good job. She was pissed. Good. And she should be. Ugh, so custody judges looked at working parents and if they were hiring babysitters, nannies, et cetera, rather than being with the kids. Yeah, so right. she was having a hard time with all that. As far as support requests, Marcia said, because of the notoriety of the trial with the press and television coverage, I have purchased five new suits and shoes for a cost of $1,500. That's nothing. $1,500 for five suits and shoes? Yeah, but this was like 1995. And it was still suits. Like, you, the, OJ Simpsons, they were wearing fucking like Dolce and Gabbana or what? Not yeah. Dolce and Gabbana. They were in like fucking um, Ralph Lauren yeah, suits right, and shit yeah. like that. They were not wearing, like, it's she was true. probably at Macy's. Oh, yeah. oh for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I'm under constant scrutiny and on the public display. It has been a necessary. It has been necessary for me to have my hair styled as needed and be able to spend more money on my personal care and grooming, as I am a county employee and none of these expenses oh, are reimbursed. That's so rough. Could you imagine having to be in court that's every single so day rough. and not? Ugh. So during the trial um, of OJ, Gabby's mother, Gabby's mother, yeah. sold a picture of Marsha and Gabby on the beach in Saint Tropez. Where Marsha was on a topless beach and she had her top off. Oh, she was with yeah. her husband. Oh, so she's a slut now. Yeah. So she's a whore. She found out later that OJ's lawyers had hired a private investigator to track down Gabby's mom in Israel and put her in touch with the oh, National Enquirer. Nice. Motherfuckers. Men are so fucking stupid. Anyway, so the day the photo came I mean, out, she walked into court. I would never do that, even if I hated my daughter in law, my ex daughter in law. I know, but I would, like, why, why hate, would you ever do that? Why do you hate her? Like, like even if, just, but even if you did, like if you had a reason to hate her, I would never, ever do something like that. So the day the photo <laughs> came out of Marsha's tatas, uh, the judge canceled court. She walked in and she just looked kind of defeated. 
And she wasn't hysterically crying like a woman. No, she wasn't hysterical. No, she wasn't hysterical. Thank God. Yeah. Like most um, women would be. Like most women would be hysterical. No, she just kind of looked defeated. And the judge, um, as much of an asshole as he was, he did cancel court that oh, day. It was nice of him. It was nice of him. Um, the media was awful to her, though, throughout oh, the trial. The sexism was off the hook. So she had two young boys. She had straight hair, right? So, but she liked to keep it perm back in the days. Back yeah. in that day, everybody had perms. I saw but a picture she, of her. She kept it perm because it was like wash and wear. She's like, wash it, shake it out, go. I there thought was, you couldn't was, wash your hair if there was, it was a perm. No, you do wash your hair. Oh. But you, I mean, but it's just, you just have to, I mean, nowadays people don't wash it as much. Nobody washes their hair as much as they used to. But either way, it was just like, you just, you, I there's do. nothing you I do. I wash my hair every day. Well, that's stupid. How often do you wash your hair? Uh, every two days. Oh. Well, unless I work, well... I, I kind of work it around my workouts. Unless I work, if I work out, I have to wash my hair. Yeah, my scalp gets soaking wet. I ha- it's like my hair looks all oily if I don't wash it. Yeah, I mean, I but I don't leave the house most of the time. Yeah, well, I leave the house every day, and I look like a troll. Huh? It's just because you look like a troll doesn't mean other people can't, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so she did this perm just to she didn't have time to mess with her hair and like style it so at some point during the trial it started growing out like early on in the trial so she got a trim and and she was like i don't have time for another perm and they were like well we're just going to cut it and so then she looked at it she's like it's half permed half not so she just blew it out the next morning she like blew it straight and she walks into court the media goes fucking nuts because she has straight hair and it's short and the judge even made a comment like, he didn't recognize her. Fucking idiot. Oh, my God. Like, would he ever say that to a man? Never. No. Never. No, um, no they wouldn't. He would hate. never make a comment. Nobody would ever make a comment to a man that cut his hair. Unless he cut it from, like, you know, like, below his shoulders. Down, you, know. you know, sometimes, once in a while, I'll think, okay, we are, like, women, like, maybe we're being too much. Like, I, I honestly will think this. Like, okay, maybe I'm being too dramatic about, like... Too sensitive, right? No, like too dramatic about like you not respecting women, right? Like to Chris, and then I'm like, wait, would I say that about a man? No, never. No, I wouldn't. So no. fuck off. No, exactly. <laughs> like, that's what I always think. Like, okay, how would how would I react if this was a man? Like, and if I react this would react differently. Even I, as a woman, would react differently. You know what absolutely. I mean? Absolutely, and that's because that's, you've been like brainwashed into we ha- it. We absolutely have. So the fuck media off. was talking about everything. From her figure to her clothing, ev- everything. Oh they just were picking her a fucking part. <sighs> she was told by her superior that she had to soften her look. She needed to wear pastel colors. Her shirt, her skirt was too short, and the list goes on. Oh, fuck off. The judge even told her at one point that her skirt was too <gasps> short. The, I'm, I would like to see her skirt. Oh, my God. So she I bet was, it was, like, to her knees. So the judge addressed... All of OJ's and OJ as Mr. Right? Yeah. Always addressed her as Marsha. Oh, yeah, of course. Never addressed her as as Miss Clark. So I hate this whole, like, women have to dress a certain way thing. And I struggle with this with Charlotte because of things that have been taught to me. And right. and, and I've been brainwashed through my 38 right. years. So You, you don't want to be like, you're not wearing that. Right. The trend is right now baggy pants and crop tops yeah and charlotte's seven and she likes to wear crop tops and i, wear I really struggle with it and it's 
Yeah. <laughs> That's because Cheryl doesn't have stretch marks to go from her neck <laughs> yeah. to her vagina. But I'm like, <laughs> at first I was like, my initial thought was, no, you're not wearing a crop top. And then I was like, I really thought about it. And I'm like, but why? What it, What is your reasoning to her? Because yeah. if I tell my kids, no, I like to have a reason. Well, if, if you had, if your son, if like the style for like football was to wear like a shirt that was cropped. Right. right. I and wouldn't should, say shit. You would him. not say no. anything to him. No. But you don't want her to attract attention. Right. But, that's the thought. And that's it. such a shitty old fashioned right. rule. Because it's not her attracting attention. It's some fucking perv that can't keep yeah. his dick in his pants. It's not so, has nothing to do with her. So even when like so I've I've thought about this a lot because because she's very into fashion and, and she just wants to look cute. It's not to her. It's not sexual in any way. It's no, just she that, just wants this to be is what's in, popular in style. and right. this is what looks cute, you know? And so I've let her do it. And and I've gotten comments about I judge her. Yeah, like but no, I've I'm gotten comments kidding, about kidding, like people saying, I can't believe you let your kid wear a crop top or even Chris will say it, like, that's too short for you to wear. And I'm like, but why? What's your reasoning? Her boobs aren't hanging out. And and the 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 reason I say that is because I say the same thing to myself. What is your reason for saying that? No, it's it's just conditioning. Yeah. It's total conditioning. So it's like us saying like, oh, you don't want to be provocative. Right. But it's not provocative. Because you don't it's want a her kid. to what, turn She's her teacher on? She's a year old. Like, like, what, yeah. Like, no, it's not. It's And it's such a bad, it's such a bad, like, I'm so thankful that my kids don't have that. Like, I, I mean, my kids definitely still have some hangups about, like, from me. But. They're like beating that. Like my my daughter was um, with my niece, and somebody said something about like, "Oh, when you take that picture of me, don't like you know make sure I don't look fat or whatever." Yeah. And my my daughter flipped out. She was like, "Do not ever say that in front of my niece because she's only she's like nine. Yeah, so right. you can't say that shit in front of a nine year old because then they're going to be like, she's like because then my daughter was telling me she's like because that." gives me all the body image issues that's what like the oh, issues sure. i had growing up yeah because you and your sisters and everybody were always like oh my god i look fat blah, 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 blah. right and i never realized the harm it did so but she's it, like that's not even just you but she's beating it like she's like yeah and the kids are now are like trying to yeah, beat it well that's really god. good but it's not even like i'm very careful about what i say around charlotte because I, it's it's hard too. i know with her her issues that that that's body image and body, mm-hmm. like how she appears to others is very important. And so I'm very, I never say that I'm fat. I always say, like when I look in the mirror. That's okay. Joseph tells you. <laughs> <laughs> when I look in the mirror, though, I'm always like, oh my God, I'm so hot. Like I'm, I'm so strong. And, yeah. you know, like, and like I like, always say stuff like that. Not because she's like, around, but now. because I just <laughs> naturally say that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, um, and so she, she still comes in the mirror. Like one day she was like, Oh, I see what they're talking about. Like, you see this little, like, fat right here? Oh, no. Like, pointing to her stomach. And I was like, what? Who talks about it? And I guess she had seen it. I don't know where she had seen it. She didn't say. But I'm like... You want to choke somebody. Yeah. And then like, what do you say to it? Like, I don't want to say you're not fat because being fat is not bad. Well, Casey used to say to me, see my thighs when I sit down? Look at how big they are. I'm like, Casey, nobody has thin thighs. Yeah. Everybody has big thighs. And Casey was not. She was a, she was skinny as hell I mean, when she was little. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she I mean, always has been thin. But I'm like, it's like, why? But even if she wasn't, that's that doesn't matter. Yeah. I, oh, my God. She and I went round and round about that when she was a teenager. So, yeah, it's. it's and that's the hard thing to, to tell Charlotte. Like. Yeah, she's she's thin and and her body looks good, you know, and and um 
quotations. What did you say? In italics. <laughs> italics. In, in italics. But um, so what? If you did have extra pounds on you, you still look beautiful. You know what I mean? Like, so I don't tell her. Did you tell her, look at look at Aunt Lynn. She's chubby and she's happy and beautiful. <laughs> That's what you should say. I don't even. I don't even say. Like I say, like yeah, your body. You look amazing because your body. Your body's so strong and you can do so many things. And, yeah. But it's so hard to like when there's so much out there that's showing oh them gosh. that. And even though it's gotten so much better than it was when like we were younger, um, it's still out there. Absolutely, oh, it's for real. It for sure is. All right, so back to Marsha. Who's Marsha? <laughs> oh, Rose, you're cut off. <laughs> so she was told by her supervisor that she had to soften her look and needed to wear pastel colors. Her shirt was too, sh- her skirt was too short, and the list goes on. The judge was particularly hard on her. She was accused of having an affair oh with God. her co-counsel Chris Darden. I remember, I remember hearing about this. Jesus Christ! She denies the affair, but when he was asked in an interview one time, he said, "We were definitely more than." friends. I mean, you think about it, they're working intensely on this. Yeah. And he said, but I'll leave that question for when she and I are together and we can answer it together. So he just kind of, it's so funny. I think that she was like, absolutely not. We didn't have an affair. But I think it's funny that he kind of, as as a dude, like kind of played it. Oh, yeah, because it's acceptable for him. Yeah, because he was like, like oh, he looks wait. like a player and she yeah. looks like a whore. Right, exactly. So, I mean, I don't know that he meant it to be that way. He seemed like a nice guy, yeah. but it was like, you know, anyway, so fem- so you'll love this. So feminist critics call the need for her to change her look is offensive, right? So they said, this is fucking ridiculous. Okay, so think about what the media was reporting on. This was a trial about a man who killed a woman, his wife, and another man who just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And all they could talk about was Marsha Clark's fucking it's hair. So fucking And her upsetting. skirt and her outfit and who oh she's dating. And she's in the sexual prime of her life. And this is a fucking tragedy. Like, it's an absolute yeah. tragedy. And is she trying to get out of court because, you know, she's using her kids as an excuse? Oh, and the double standard is ridiculous. I mean, it's so fucking ridiculous. It's horrible. So you'll love this. So during the OJ trial, the president of... Now, <laughs> NOW, no the National women? Organization for Women, which is our our um, acronym too, yeah. now, of Los Angeles, went to Judge Ito and told him he was discriminating and and he was being sexist against Marsha Clark. Yeah. Shut the fuck he up. He denied all the accusations. Oh, he was sure. like, oh, whatever. So she left and she came back with video clips of ways that showing him. This is how you're being sexist. This is how you're discriminating against her. And I mean, not defending him. I think this was a very big turn in history, around the same time of history turning. So I feel like he was like, I wasn't doing it. It was like normal banter for him, right? Yeah, right. But at some point, we had to stop it. And this woman from the National Organization of Women said, you're stopping this right now. You're on national fucking news sexualizing a woman and so she and she demanded he stopped so she showed him the video she showed him video clips of him acting like sexist did he say anything no I mean you don't know what he said uh, I don't remember what the outcome was but she she brought back she when he denied it she brought back video clips is what I heard so so yeah so she knew so when the, the the glove came the glove part came up yeah so we all we all kind of know about the glove. If you're really young, you don't. So 
the defense wanted OJ to try on the bloody glove. Right. And she was dead set against it. She's like, absolutely not. No. Because one, it's a leather glove. Two, it's soaked. It was soaked in blood. Three, it's been sitting in an evidence locker room. Yeah. So, so it's, it's shrunk, shrunk up. Yeah, it's going to have And shrunk. he's going to have a latex glove on. So there's no way it's going to go right. on his hand over a latex glove. It's going to be sticky. It's mm-hmm. not going to and, and the glove shrunk and everything. So they said, okay, well, the defense said, okay, we'll have him try the same exact brand and model, like the, the same glove that hasn't been soaked in blood on, but he was still going to have a latex glove on. It still was not going to fit. Why was he going to have a latex glove on? I have no fucking idea, but it was, it was well, he did for the evidence piece because yeah, it was. Yeah, because obviously. Right. But, but I don't know why he had on for the other, but she fought against it. She's like, absolutely do not want him trying that on. That's not, it's going to. Yeah. And she knew once he tried on the fucking glove and they were like, That's if it doesn't fit, yeah, you it, must have quit. Right. She knew that it was over. If she know, she said she the, lost control of the case. That's a famous line from O.J. Simpson yeah. trial. He, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. And she she said she lost case of she lost control of the case with the media, and that's not supposed to happen. It's supposed to be entertainment. It's not supposed to be entertainment. It's supposed to be news, but it turned into a circus. Oh yeah, for that's sure. That's what she said. That was quote, quoted from her. I mean, any any um, trial. Is going to turn into entertainment. It's just so fucked up. So after the trial was over, as we all know, he was acquitted. Yeah. Just in case you're young and you don't know, he was acquitted. And it was like, I re- where were you? Do you remember when the, when the verdict was heard? I don't because I was 10. Okay. So I was in Charlottesville visiting Joanne. Yeah. And we, Chris was, uh, I think Chris and Caitlin... I would think Caitlin was a baby when the OJ trial was going on. That's like in her like baby book as like was she born? current events. She was born in ninety four. So the OJ yeah. yeah, so the OJ trial. Oh no, no. Yeah. So this was so, ninety five. Yeah. So she was like the OJ trial was going on like when she was born. It was crazy. So she um so we were here in Charlottesville. We went to McAdoo's, which used to be on the corner. Uh-huh. So the corner, for you guys who don't know, it's like a little, it's a stretch of road between the University of Virginia and where all the bars and restaurants are down on the corner. It's like this, like two blocks of road. And we were at McAdoo's, which is a very famous college bar, restaurant, great sandwiches. We were having lunch and somebody's like... the. The OJ, the OJ verdict's in. And the T the only TV they had was down like when you walked into McAdoo's off of the off the street, it was like the whole bar. It was like, you know, 20 seats at the bar. And yeah. then you went upstairs to eat. So everybody ran downstairs. The only TV was in the bar then. Okay. So everyone ran downstairs and we were all like packed in this little area. We were eating lunch and we were watching the verdict. And oh, when wow. they said not guilty, I literally felt my knees like almost get weak. I was like, what? Like I was flabbergasted i could not believe like it was crazy so it's so weird that stuff doesn't happen like that anymore well because of because of like because of your social media and stuff like that yeah you just get it on yourself well you would have sat at your table and watched it on your phone yeah so after the trial was over she took a leave of absence and never went back to her office she just couldn't she couldn't do it yeah she had someone else pack up her office she was done so she decided to start writing. So she wrote a book about her life called Without a Doubt in 1997. The overview of the book, it says, in Without a Doubt, 
without a doubt, doubt. Clark painstakingly recounts the trial proceedings from a jury selection to the final summation and concludes that nothing could have saved her case, even the prominent role of race in the defense's strategy and the hostile jury, jury who heard it. In Clark's opinion, the prosecutor's mountain of evidence should have convicted Simpson 20 times over. Oh. That it did not, she says, attested to the judicial, the judicial system racked by race and overly impressed by celebrity. Amidst war stories from the trial, Marsha Clark sprinkles plenty of details about her private life before and after the OJ, from before and after OJ, from a teenage rape to her ex-husband's custody suit. So it was like, you know, this whole, she wrote this whole book about her life before, yeah. you know, before and after the trial. So she ventured into writing novels and nonfiction books. Her first novel, Guilt by Association was published in 2011, marked by the beginning of her career as a crime fiction author. She went on to write series of, a series of books featuring a character named Rachel Knight, a Los Angeles prosecutor. Clark's writing received positive reviews, and she continued to publish more novels in the series. Marsha Clark's, Marcia Clark's <laughs> crime novels, particularly those featuring the character Rachel Knight, achieved commercial success and appeared in bestseller lists. The recognition comes from her work as a successful, successful author in the crime fiction genre. So she became a legal commentator and analyst for various TV networks. She provided legal analysts... An, I'm sorry, legal analysis on a high-profile case on high-profile cases and trials, sharing her expertise and insights with viewers. Her media appearances made her recognizable future. Oh my God, made her recognizable figure in made her a recognizable figure in the legal entertainment spheres. In addition to her on-camera work, Marsha Clark delved into the television production. She served as an executive producer and consultant for several TV series, including The Fix, a legal drama loosely based on her own experiences. This allowed her to leverage her legal background and storytelling skills in the entertainment industry. She remained an advocate for victims' rights and criminal justice reform. She used her platform to raise awareness about issues with within the legal system and to promote changes that would improve fairness and transparency. Her advocacy efforts included speaking engagements, interviews, and participation in relevant initiatives. She was nominated for the Pulitzer Surprise. The the surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking kill me now. Surprise! They should name it that. They should. I must change it, Rose. She was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize for her work as the lead prosecutor in the O.J. Simpson trial, which that's crazy. She didn't win, but it brought her significant recognition and attention. That's fucking crazy, though. That is crazy. As a crime fiction author, she received a nomination for the prestigious Edgar Award presented by the Mystery Writers of America. For her novel, Guilt by Association, she received awards and honors from various legal organizations and associations in recognition of her dedication and contributions to the field of criminal law. While not traditional legal awards, Marsha Clark's work as a legal commentator and television producer earned her recognition within the media and entertainment industry. She received accolades related to her television appearances and contributions to legal-themed television series. Her crime novels, particularly those featuring the character Rachel Knight, achieved commercial success and appeared in bestseller lists. I think I already said that. You did. Sorry. Take it back. So 
Her legacy and impact is what I'm going to talk about last. Her prominent role as a lead prosecutor in the O.J. Simpson trial brought attention to the challenges and biases faced by women in the legal profession. Her experiences, including criticism of her appearance and personal life, highlighted the gender disparities in a high-profile case. While her career path may have been influenced by these challenges, her perseverance and success served as an inspiration for aspiring female attorneys, contributing to the ongoing conversation about gender equality in the legal field. So um, I listened to an interview of, um, why am I drawing a blank right now? Megyn Kelly. So Megyn Kelly, remember, she used to be on Fox News. Yeah. And now she's like, switch sides. She Has interviewed. She? Oh, she's like she was on like the Today Show and stuff now. Megan really? Kelly, yeah, I didn't know that. yeah. Is the Today Show like liberal? Rose, come on! Is somebody, it? somebody slide into Rose's DMs and tell her she a fucking idiot. <laughs> of course it is. I didn't. I mean, I didn't, didn't think they like really talked about yeah, the politics. Yeah, Today Show is definitely left. Is it? What yeah. about Good Amer- Good America? Good, same thing. Left. Good Morning America. Yeah. Okay. The only one that's not really is Fox. Okay. So, uh, Megan Kelly did an interview. First with her. of all, how am I supposed to know that? You think I just stay home all day watching TV? Well, you should. So, um, Megan Kelly interviewed her, and she said, "I was in law school when you were trying the OJ case, and we were glued to the TV." Oh, she bet. said, "I," and so it was just really cool to see her. She's like, and she said that people have told Megan Kelly said people have told her that she's like, like, and she said, "I'm very loosely saying this. I'm not that she's like Nicole. She was." She and Nicole Simpson are like the same person. Yeah. They have a lot of the same attributes. I can see that. And so she was like, um, I was really attached to this trial. And so especially going through law school, we talked about it in school yeah. and like every day. And she said, I just, oh, my God. She said, I, my heart went out to you. And she said, I was so angry. Like she was talking about how like the the shit that was coming her March right. Clark's way was just infuriating. So the O.J. Simpson trial was a watershed moment in the relationship between the media and the legal proceedings. The, t- the trial's intense media-, media coverage and the impact of televised court proceedings raised important questions about the influence of the media's media on jurors and public perception of trials. Marsha Clark's experience exemplified the challenges faced by legal professionals in the era of the 27, 24-7 news coverage contributing to the discussions of the need for responsible and balanced media reporting Jeez. on legal cases. And that was in 95. That'll I mean, never happen. insane. The O.J. Simpson trial introduced many people to the intricacies of the legal system, including the jury selection, evidence presentation, and courtroom procedures. It increased public awareness of the complexities involved in high-stake criminal trials, sparking interest in legal matters, and encouraging greater civic engagement in the discussions about justice and fairness. I mean, you think about it, Court TV was like right, right in front of this. It was like right there. Throughout her career, she's been an advocate for victims' rights, drawing attention to the often challenging and emotional experiences victims face within the legal system. Her ag- advocacy work has contributed to a broader awareness to the need to protect and support crime victims, resulting in a legal reform aimed at providing aimed at Im- improving their treatment and rights during their proceedings. Her post-trial career as a legal commentator author of crime fiction novels and involvement in television productions has bridged the gap between the legal field and the popular culture. Her insights and experiences have influenced the portrayal of legal proceedings and characters on television shows, movies, literature, contributing to a more nuanced and realistic representation of the legal profession in entertainment media. 
She broke down some of the stereotypes of women in the workplace and kept her chin up as she was picked apart. I mean, she really was. I mean, she, the fact that she, so she, like, they were fucking ripping her apart and she showed up every day with yeah. her chin up. Like, I would have been a fucking mess. There's yeah, no way. rough. She inspired young women who were enter- entering or think of enter- thinking of entering the legal field. She was the first woman to do this publicly. Her experiences, including critical comments about her appearance and personal life, drew attention to the double standards often applied to women in positions of authority. Her advocacy indirectly contributed to the conversations and efforts to address gender discrimination in the legal profession. Beyond her own career, Marsha Clark has been an advocate for women's rights and gender equality. Her advocacy work both in the legal field and the broader discussions about women's issues, has contributed has contributed to advancing the cause of gender equality and encouraging dialogue in related topics. So now she's a full-time writer. Um, she has a contract with Amazon. I think it is to, to write two books a year. Okay. She still does some TV That's appearances. A lot. That seems that like is, a lot. Like, oh, my God. I can't even imagine. I, I stress about writing I mean, one story every two weeks. You know how long? Like, it, I, that seems like a lot, but six months will go by so fast. And you have to be done with a whole book. Well, you think about it, though. If if you're a lawyer and you're writing opening and closing statements, that's probably a fucking that's book in true, itself. Yeah. Right? So she and probably I guess has, if that's all you're doing. She, like, never takes vacations. But it's really hard to, like... Like, come up with ideas and stuff. I, I don't imagine. know. But she has this, like, genre that she goes with. Yeah. So it's, like, in her field. So she still does some TV appearances as a host and a commentator for legal trials. They, like, call her on to be like, yo, comment on this. She said, I could, uh, and I, I, I feel like I could go on and on about her peaks and valleys. Um, but I just want to end by saying she is and has always been a force to be reckoned with. She has never complained or used her discrimination during the OJ trial as a reason or excuse for the lack of a conviction. She kept her head high and moved on. She was treated differently than everyone, everyone in the room. She was basically singled out, but she kept her chin up and moved on. She let no one intimidate her. You know, she must have felt sick to her stomach over the snide comments and the bad press she received, but she never let them see her sweat. She's, you know, I, I just want to it say infuriated that me no, I, I completely agree. But I want to say that even if she was to use to be to use that, like say that, you know, I didn't win because I'm a woman. I feel like that wouldn't be wrong because no, but she 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 I know she never did. And, yeah. I, and that's strong and she great. Her of her. Channel, yeah. But if, you know, the women out there the. You can say that. You can say it's okay to say I it. was discriminated against. She and never. That's why I didn't win. So she never. Um, she still to this day. I thought I wrote it in there, but it's it's not. I don't remember saying it. And tell me if I did. She to this day still feels the responsibility of the innocent. Um, him being innocent, found innocent. She still fe- find feels like it's her personal. And and I wonder like who was on the jury. Well, it was it. The jury changed a lot because people were like they were sequestered. So people were like, I can't do this anymore. And like the jury okay. changed a lot. But it was a pretty fair shake of, you know, like white and black people and men and women. Okay. But there was so his his. His lawyers claimed that he was being discriminated against. They claimed that Mark Furman, the chief, like the police, the police yeah. officer, the the the. Um, investigator yeah. was um, racist, and they found 
people that would testify that he used the N-word. So they basically what they did was create doubt in the jurors that Mark Furman, that OJ did it and that Mark Furman could have set him up. So basically he took one of the gloves from the scene, dropped it off at the house. He took blood from the scene, dropped it at the house. And you know what? In that case, I agree with the jury. Hmm. I mean, I mean, I mean, if they, I mean, they did a good job. They did a good job of proving that. But it's like, I mean, it was he, so much fucking evidence. Yeah. And so basically they were saying who in their right Although, mind yeah, would, I, I don't know. would yeah. leave this much evidence is somebody that was a fucking psychopath. Yeah. Where he was and like just like led by in, went and murdered enraged. her in a matter of second, enraged and left and didn't think yeah. about cleaning up after I himself. I think you're absolutely That's who right. killed her. Yeah. Like, I mean, when you hear him in these 911 calls screaming at her in the background yeah. and enraged and like this whole... And she left all this evidence that she was abused oh my God. and that he was going to be the one that killed absolutely. her. Absolutely. And so she still... So her the book that she wrote about herself, yeah. her life, she um, she dedicated to Nicole Simpson oh, and... Oh, that's nice. Um, why did struggling? Ron, Ron Goldman. Yeah. Oh my God. I just drew a blank on his name. That's horrible. Yeah. She dedicated to them because she just felt like she had to. It was just. I mean, that's rough. She couldn't even go back position. to work. Yeah. She couldn't. Because you feel like you let them down. And I feel like I would have been like, look, that fucking judge was an asshole and he ruined it. Like, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I. I guess she just took the high road and said yeah. it didn't work out for me. But she said she knew as soon as he tried on that glove, she was done. And it's it's hard. She knew it. I imagine in the the um, justice system, it's hard to like feel like you're getting treated fairly. You know what I mean? Because it's there's so many unfair yeah judgments. Because you're you're counting on what what is it? Twelve jurors? I don't even know. Fifteen? Fifteen jurors? But I, I just feel like and and they could be anyone. You know? Yeah. I just feel like. And they could had she had had she been treated had if she was a man, would it have gone differently? Yeah, I think it would have. Oh, for sure. Because the media wouldn't have torn her down. Yeah, Um, the judge wouldn't have made snide comments at her. Right, and that undermined her every step of the way. Right, like who the fuck is he to to talk about her skirt? And you know, there was another thing. So Judge Ito like collected something. I want to say it was like fucking owls or something stupid like that. I don't even remember. But I remember this about the trial he was like a collector of something like he loved like owls or some stupid thing and people were sending them in to him like he was getting gifts from like random people and he was putting them on his bench that's weird which is like a sign of like support like you can't no you can't oh my god the whole thing was a fucking shit show it was a shit show. And then, you know, then what? Like, how many years later he fucking goes to jail anyway because he's a goddamn idiot. Yeah. And he can't control his temper. But but they they, they did win the civil suit. I don't know if they ended up getting anything. You know, they, uh, Ron Goldman's parents. Yeah, I remember they, that. Yeah. So. It's really sad. And it's sad for Ron Goldman's parents. Because, oh, my God. His like, poor parents. Like, he just was there at the wrong place right, at the wrong yeah. time. And then what about OJ's kids? Well, what about they his fucking that his kids? Dad didn't, their dad didn't do it. What the older kids or the younger kids? Because he has he has two older kids from another marriage, and then he has the two younger kids with Nicole. Oh well, I know the younger kids still talk to him, as far as I know. <sighs> it's so gross. When the when the I when mean, the, but how when could the, you believe that about your dad? Like, so if, it, if he's a good dad, 
Well, when the... Which you can be, well, even if you're an abusive asshole. Well, he's a narcissist, so they, they believe him. But when when um, the police came to the house, right? Yeah. When the, the neighbor who found the bodies called the police, they came to the house, they went upstairs, and the kids were asleep upstairs in her house. Yeah. Right? So they... Somebody... One of the detectives woke up the kids and brought them out the back way into their car and brought them to the police station and, like, played with them, taught them to say their names in sign language, talked to them and, like, gave them soda and candy and all this stuff. And then and they were like, where's our mom? We just want our mom. And and then the the older the, the daughter looks at the son and says, you know, something's wrong with mom. And um, he was like, why? And she was like, because mom mom wouldn't leave us here this long. Oh. And that just goes to show what a great mom yeah. she was. And he just like, oh, my God, when they went and searched oh. his house, there was a picture of him and her at a at a like event yeah. where they were like dressed to the nines yeah. under his mattress. OJ. Oh, what a fucking creeper. What was he like jacking off to Rose. that thing? What was he doing with it? Why was it under his mattress? That's so weird. What a fucking weirdo. Yeah. Come at me, man. Those Bring poor kids. Like, I know. I just feel sorry for all his kids, even the older ones. I mean, could you imagine, though, like his little, I just, I, I can't, I can't like imagine to be that. able like, to, to know that to have a mom like, like that mom was like this great person. And, and that was their comfort person, you know, and and to know that. Yeah. And like, so well, honestly, told them she would she why was would, murdered. I mean, I understand kind of why his attorneys did the whole like make it seem like somebody else did it. Yeah. I understand that. I mean, that's a good it's a good case but why would anybody like just frame him out of nowhere because mark Furman actually was like super like um impressed by him so like when he and marcia clark were walking around the uh around the estate yeah uh, the you know his estate in brentwood um he was like they come up to the fucking this big fucking bronze statue he has of himself yeah, holding a football I remember that. he's like yeah he, he had this made when he uh got the heisman he was like all like impressed with yeah. it and march clark's like what the fuck ever? Like, she didn't even know who OJ was when they told her she had the case. She's yeah. like, is that the dude that's in the Hertz commercial? She had no <laughs> idea he was a football player. And I love that because she didn't care. But, yeah, so he was like, Mark Furman was, like, impressed by him and not, like, going to yeah. convict him over nothing. But they proved it. I mean, they proved, you know, some doubt. Yep. So, anyway, if you loved that or hated it, because it yeah, fucking made me infurious. I'm mad. I, it does make you mad. It makes you want to punch somebody. Yeah. So um, give us a follow. Give us a shout out. Let us know how you liked it. We, we really love feedback. Um, so you can reach out to us on No Ordinary Women Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And on the X, it's um, No Ord, O-R-D, Women Pod. So reach out to us. Let us know how you liked it. Just like give us a little like smiley face, cheers, thumbs up, Lynn's hot, Rose's not, whatever you want to do. That's fine. Oh, did I say that out loud? It's not true. I said that out loud, didn't I'm I? I'm hot, Lynn. Okay. It is, it's very hot in this room. <laughs> <laughs> it's extremely hot in this room. Yes. So, uh, until next week, you guys. Thanks. Bye. Love you. Bye. Bye.